Welcome to the Forward Church Weekly Podcast. This week's message from Lead Pastor Neil Krauss is from the series Church Hunters. For more information about Forward, giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com. Welcome to Forward Church. Sorry I had to share a little bit extra with you there, but you know, it's such an important thing for us to share and to to dig into a little bit. If you would grab your Bibles, we're going to study now. We're going to look at God's Word and what He has to say for us today in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 13 through 17 today. And if you've been with us over the last several weeks, this is week four of our Church Hunter series as we look at some non-negotiables that God has for His church. Because just like when we're hunting for a home, we have non-negotiables that we want, right? There are certain things that we say, this is what I want in my home. It's got to have so many bedrooms, so many bathrooms. I want a flat driveway. You know, we think of different things that are non-negotiables for the home that we're going to live in. The same thing should be true for any church that we're going to call home. You know, those of us that are a part of the Forward Church family, this is our church home. Therefore, there are certain things that we should have as non-negotiables. And God has put some in his word to help us understand what his church should look like. Now, I've heard this, and you've probably heard people say that, you know, when when buying a house, everything's negotiable. Well, that may be true when buying a house, but God has some non-negotiables, things that have to be in place in order for His church to thrive, in order for His church to to make a difference and be a highly impactful church. And this does not mean that the church gets everything perfect. It doesn't mean that the church gets everything right, because the reality is no church this side of heaven will be perfect. If you came here today thinking maybe this will be the perfect church for me, or if you've been here for a while and you're thinking this is just the perfect church, well, sooner or later, we're going to let you know we're not because we're made up of humans and and we have flesh and we are going to make mistakes. We're not going to be perfect, but we are striving towards the goal is that the church is moving forward. Notice the name of church, the forward church, that we are moving forward towards these non-negotiables, that we are making these non-negotiables evident in the life of the church in some level, and we continue to grow in that. So if you've missed any of the sermons in this series, I highly, highly, highly encourage you, go back, get the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, and listen. Blake did an incredible job the first two weeks of introducing this series and preaching. What a wonderful job he did. I'm so blessed that when I'm out of town, we've got Blake Bells to preach because he He is just a gifted, anointed man of God, preaching God's word. So grateful for him. And last week I got to preach on the third week, and now we're in our fourth week of this series. But go back and listen to those if you missed any of them. But basically, so far, Paul has been warning the church in Thessalonica to not be deceived. He's letting them know there are false teachers giving you a false picture of what the church looks like. Do not be deceived by that. So Paul is now encouraging them. In our text today, he's giving them one basic message broken down into three categories. And his basic non-negotiable for the church is this, stand firm. That's the main thing he's telling them. We're going to break that down into three categories, but he's telling them, you've got to stand firm. As a church, you must stand firm. And as individual Christians, we must stand firm. But what does it look like then for us to stand firm? What does it look like for you and I? How do we do that? How do we stand firm in our faith? What what foundation do we stand on in this shaken and unsteady world? Because the more we live, the more we listen to society, the more we look at social media, the more we hear the news, we think, wow, this world is not steady. It's not something that I can put a good solid foundation on. 
Now, I did do a quick Google search and I found some illustrations of what can happen when we have a shaky foundation for a home. So if you're shopping for a home, I've got some pictures of ones that you don't, you can just mark them off your list, okay? They had shaky foundations. And these may be, this first one I think is Photoshopped. It's gotta be. But if you take a look at this, look at that. Who's going to buy that house? Who wants to put an offer on that one? That thing is sliding down the hill. And we've seen those things on TV where there's mudslides and houses are sliding down the hill. But that one looks like it's still intact. But imagine waking up in the morning and you're just kind of like, you know, lopsided and, and your house is like that. Not a good situation, right? How about the next one? What, found another picture and look at terrifying. I mean, look at it, it's built on that cliff and the cliff is collapsing and the house is starting to fall apart. Just not a good place to buy, not even a good place to build. Sure, it had an awesome view, but not a good foundation. Let's look at the next. Who wants to live in this neighborhood? Scary, because there's not good foundations. Who knows what they built on there and why they built there? Maybe they were just trying to make money quick, but not a good place. How about the next one? This one looks like you're in Pigeon Forge at that, what's that house called? Wonderworks, yeah. Look at that house. You're gonna put an offer on that one? That is not a good foundation for that house. Now, those are pretty much terrifying pictures, and certainly we wouldn't want to buy one of those homes to live in, but the foundation there is clearly shaky, and I think you get what I'm getting at. We should never consider making a church our home if its foundation is shaky. So we need to understand what our foundation is. What's the foundation of the church that I'm a part of? And today we're going to see three different ways that Paul tells the church to stand firm. So with that thought, would you please stand with me as we read from the main text for today? We're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's what Paul says in verses 13 through 17. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our lord jesus christ so then brothers stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter now may our lord jesus christ himself and god our father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word you can be seated may the lord add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of his holy word today. Now, first of all, Paul says, stand firm in your calling. Our first non-negotiable of the church, of God's church, is that it's a church that stands firm in your calling. Verses 13 through 14 says, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul reassures the church in Thessalonica to stand firm in the salvation that God has given to you. So God has already given you salvation. You stand firm in it. And since God called you to salvation, it is his idea. It was God's idea to save you. He saw you in your sin and he said, I'm going to offer salvation to you. So since it's his idea, why would we ever doubt it? When you are suffering, when you are being persecuted, when life around you seems to be falling apart, the foundations are sinking, he says you stand firm in the truth that because of God's grace, because he has called you, you are destined to glory and not wrath. 
So he's letting the church in Thessalonica know things are falling apart around you. It seems like the foundations are shaking, but you stand firm because God has called you. He loves you that much. His grace is why we stand firm. And when you stand firm in the truth that glory awaits you, then the troubles of the day will not shake you. And the point Paul is making here, it's not just theological, it is pastoral. He's being very pastoral with them and he's loving them and he's saying, you gotta take heart. The God who saved you from your sin, he will also save you from this circumstance that you're facing. God loves you so much that he made a way for you to get back to him. So there is hope and hope's name is Jesus. If God is big enough to save your soul for eternity, he can certainly save you in the moment that you're in. Look at John 16, 33. It says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, sometimes we have no trouble believing that God can save us from our sin and, and take us to heaven with him, but we struggle to believe that God could deliver us from a difficult circumstance, from a difficult situation, and that he'll get us safely through to the other side. We doubt that he is big enough or strong enough or that he cares enough to, to help us. We need to be reminded regularly that our God is bigger than any problem or crisis that we will ever face. Our God can overcome sin, He can overcome death, therefore He can overcome whatever it is that you're facing. Maybe it's sickness, maybe it's a loss of a job, it could be financial crisis. Paul is saying, you stand firm. You stand firm in your faith because God has saved you, and that God that has saved you, He cares about you, and He will provide for you. And in verse 13, he makes it clear how we're saved. He says, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now, sanctification, big Bible word, right? Simply means this, to be made holy. Sanctification means to be made holy. So how does Scripture say that we are made holy? By the Spirit. It is by the Spirit that we're made holy. It is God's Holy Spirit that sanctifies us, that makes us holy. So note this, it's not by anything that you and I do. We can't attain holiness it is by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us that makes us holy. Your good works, they do not make you holy. It's God's Spirit that makes you holy. So when you show love to others through good works, when you do good works for others and you're doing good things, it's God's Spirit that uses that to make you look more like Jesus and to sanctify you and bring you into holiness and to bless others through your acts of goodness. Simple fact, even those who do not know Jesus can do good works. It's not good works that sanctify us. Anybody can do good. It is the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us and makes us holy. Simply reading the Bible does not make you holy. God's Spirit does. There are many people who have read the Bible and know verses in the Bible, but they're not holy. It's God's Spirit that lives inside of us that makes us holy. So when you practice the discipline of reading the Bible on a regular basis, God's Spirit uses that to transform you and to transform your mind and to transform your heart with the truth of God's Word. And the result is that the Holy Spirit makes you more holy through that discipline. So the discipline of reading the Bible is extremely important, but we have to have His Spirit inside of us making us holy from what we learn and what He teaches us. Your generosity does not make you holy. It's God's Spirit that makes you holy and that convicts you to be generous and to give generously and to give sacrificially. You see, it's God's Spirit that makes us holy. 
Now, there's something else named here, listed here, that he says we are saved through. We see the word and there. I have it circled in my Bible. And belief in the truth. And belief in the truth. So this tells us that when we believe in the truth of God's holy word, we are saved, we're given his Holy Spirit, and it's by his Spirit that we're made holy. Now, belief in the truth means so much more than simply believing. See, I think there's this big misconception, a false picture painted by false teachers, by false ideas, that if we simply believe, then we are saved and made holy. But we need to acknowledge something. To believe means we acknowledge something is real. To believe in means we submit to and we follow. Here's the difference. Let me try to make it clear for you. I believe that Satan is real, but I certainly do not believe in him. I do not follow him. I believe that Jesus is real. However, I believe in him, meaning I follow him. I believe in the truth of God's word. Therefore, I follow God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you and I believe in that, if we believe in God's Word, then we must follow it. So when Paul says the phrase, belief in the truth, he means when you believe in God and you follow the truth, then the Holy Spirit of God sanctifies you. Because of that, we get to share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So do you see the difference in believing and believing in? Last week, we talked about the awesomeness of Jesus, right? We talked about how awesome he is. And this week, we get, we, we get to see that as we stand firm, we get to stand firm because we get to share in the awesomeness of Jesus. Check this out. Verse 14 says, To this he called you through our gospel so that, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you believe in Jesus, meaning when you believe in him because you follow him, you submit to him, you surrender your life to him, he is Lord over your life, you believe in him that much that you're following him. When you follow Jesus, his Holy Spirit lives in you, it grows you in holiness, meaning it sanctifies you so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Did you walk in here today believing you can obtain the very same glory of Jesus Christ? Many of us probably didn't because we've been believing lies that we're not worthy, that we can't be like Jesus, that we can't obtain the same glory that he has. This verse right here says, so that when you follow him, you follow him and you believe in him so that you obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can share in the very same glory of Jesus Christ. But the enemy constantly lies to us, tries to tell you that you can't have that, tries to hide that news. And the false teachers, they were making the, th the church in Thessalonica fear that they were missing out, fear that they had missed out on the return of Jesus, fear that they had missed out on his power and his glory, making them fear that they had missed out on his awesomeness. And Paul is letting them know, because of your belief in and because of the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you will share in the glory of Jesus. And nothing can take that from you. Here's another promise from Scripture. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29 says, My sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus, and he's talking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they what? Follow me. 
because we believe in him. We follow him. We know his voice. When he's speaking, we discern that it's him. And he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. This verse assures us that if we follow Jesus, nothing, absolutely nothing can snatch us away from him if we're following him. You see, some people claim to follow Jesus, yet we see no evidence of that in their lives. There are a lot of people in the Bible Belt, here where we live, that will say, yes, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. But when you look at their life, you don't see evidence that they're following him. So we have to ask ourselves, am I truly following him? Because if you claim to follow him, you have to ask yourself, is there evidence in my life that I follow Jesus? So look at your life and say, does my life look more like Jesus today than it did a year ago? If your answer is yes, then hallelujah, praise the Lord, great, continue to move forward towards God. That's the process of sanctification by his Holy Spirit working inside of you, making you more holy, looking more like him. Sure, you'll stumble sometimes. Sure, you'll make mistakes, but you continue on your journey following Jesus. Okay? If your answer is no, if you look at your life and say, you know, my life looks the same as it did about a year ago. I still struggle with the same things. I've still got the same issues in my life. I'm just not really moving forward towards God. If you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years and you say, my life doesn't look that much different than it did then, then you've got to take a serious assessment of your life and saying, am I truly following Jesus then? Are you following him and following his word? Because there's a huge difference between believing Jesus and believing in Jesus. So we've got to ask ourselves questions about that. You see, even Satan and his demons believe Jesus is the Son of God. They, they address it in the Bible. However, they do not follow him. They don't believe in him. So you have to ask yourself, do I believe in Jesus? Am I, am I willing to follow him? Am I surrendering? Am I submitting my life to him? And you can answer that by answering this question. Is there fruit of the Spirit on display in my life? Am I displaying the fruit of the Spirit that God lists in his word? Am I more loving today than I was five, 10 years ago? Am I more loving today than I was a year ago? Am I growing in my love for, for, for myself and for people around me and for lost people? Am I growing in my love? Do I exhibit joy no matter what circumstance my life is? Am I learning how to have joy even when there's suffering going on? Am I at peace with, with, with God? Am I at peace with life? Am I at peace in, in no matter what's happening around me? Do I have more patience today than I had yesterday or the day before or the year before? Am I kind-hearted towards people or am I bitter? Am I frustrated? Am I angry? Am I always putting people down? Am I always judging and thinking of other things? Or am I kind-hearted? Do I, do I seek goodness in all things? Is my faithfulness growing or am I getting less faithful? Am, am I gentle towards others or am I harsh? Am I a critic all the times? Am I growing in self-control? Am I gaining more self-control over the desires, the fleshly desires that used to have control over me? Am I growing in self-control in those areas? Or am I still struggling with the same old sins? Paul's reminding the church, if you're following Jesus, you're going to display fruit. So you stand firm in your calling from God and you be assured of your place with him. Then he reminds them to stand firm in the word. So we stand firm in the word. Non-negotiable number two is a church that stands firm in the word of God. Verse 15 says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. <clears throat> you can summarize this verse with two statements. 
Stand firm in the word. Hold on to the word. So you stand firm in your commitment to faith. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul explains how the church is supposed to work. He's given an explanation. He explains that we're to follow Jesus and we're to follow his word. And when we do that, Ephesians 4.14 says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. If, if we are not standing firm in the word of God, what happens is we get tossed to and fro by the waves of our culture. We get tossed back and forth in the winds of doctrine that come blowing at us so often, false doctrine that comes at us, we get tossed aside by it. When we were at the beach a few weeks ago, my family was on vacation, this analogy became very apparent to me. This, this scripture kind of became even more real as I stood out waist deep in the ocean. I'm sure you've experienced this. Every couple of seconds, a wave would come crashing in and it would make me kind of stumble back a little bit. I might take a little step and then I would kind of shift and get my, my footing. As the wave would go, the ocean would pull the water back out, the sand under my feet would go out and I would kind of shift again a little bit. And as I stood there and, and, and through the waves over a period of time, I noticed after a while, I was way down far away from where our chairs were so somehow without even realizing it without even knowing that I had shifted that far I was shifted way off course from where I had started now in our spiritual lives the very same thing happens to us when we're not standing firm in the word of God sometimes it is subtle but a wave of our culture will come sweeping in and it may shift us just a little bit where we don't think that we're getting off base, but we start to listen to this wave of our culture and we start to, to follow that instead of standing firm in the word of God. And then another wave comes and we shift just a little bit more. And another wave comes and we shift a little bit more. And another wave comes and we shift a little bit more. And before we know it, we're doing things. We're saying we believe things. We are changing things so far from the word of God and we didn't even realize we had gotten there. That's how we fall into sin that we never thought we would do. I can tell you I've sat across the table from so many people that they've sat there and they're just broken hearted and they're broken and they're saying, I can't believe I've done what I've done. I never thought that I would. Years ago, I never would have done this. I never would have committed this sin. And what has happened though is over time, they had shifted away from what God's word said that allowed the waves of culture to shift them and let them drift away from where they originally believed. And now they've succumbed to this sin and this temptation in their life. We all struggle with that. So that's why God's telling us you stand firm on the word of God. You keep your footing in the word of God. You keep everything you do based off of the word of God. And that will be a strong, firm foundation for you that you will never, ever stumble if you're standing firm in the word of God and you're holding on to the word of God. You see, that's how we remain unshakable. That's how we remain steady. So, Instead of trying to stand up against the latest wave, instead of trying to shift our feet against the latest wave, we stand firm in the word of God. And he says, you stand firm and you hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. He says, you hold on to the word. Whether by word of mouth or by letter, they were told to hold on to the word that had been given them. Paul wanted them to stand up for and hold on to the truths that they have received. In 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul warns Timothy, O Timothy, Anytime it starts like that, you can just see, you can just see the yearning in Paul as he's saying, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. 
And I don't have to go into detail about it. There are so many attacks on the Bible today. You see it, you know it. People are claiming to have better knowledge that contradicts what the Bible says. People are claiming to have new knowledge, fresh knowledge, something new, something different. And they're saying things that go against what God's word says, but they're trying to say that what's okay, what they're doing is they're trying to say it's okay to live the way that we want to live because here's what a loving God would really do and really say. That's antiquated, that's old. And what God is saying is you don't listen to that irreverent babble. You don't let that irreverent babble that contradicts and it is false knowledge. You don't let that make you go astray. Paul's warning them to stay away from irreverent babble. In 2 Timothy 1.14, he says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He's saying you guard the word of God that is in your heart. You stand firm in the word of God and you guard it because there'll be so many waves of false teaching that will come at you and they'll try to shake the foundations of your faith. And God never said it would be easy, but he did say it would be worth it. If we stand firm and we hold on to the truth of the word, God promises us hope. So he closes this passage by exhorting the church to stand firm in our hope. And our hope is Jesus. And that's non-negotiable number three for today, a church that stands firm in the hope of Jesus. Verses 16 through 17 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. And these are two very powerful verses. It is God's love and God's grace that gives us hope. And Paul says, Let that encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. So in everything you do, be encouraged by what God has done and what God is going to do. We don't need to panic about what's going to happen. We don't need to be worried about what's going to happen. He says, you just be prepared and you remain steadfast. You stand firm in the hope that you have because you have a hope and that hope's name is Jesus. Do you remember the focus of last week's passage? If you were here last week, the whole focus of that passage was 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. It says, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. You see, our hope is awesome because Jesus is awesome. He will wipe out the enemy by the very breath of his mouth. He takes out the Antichrist by the very breath of his mouth and he ends this all for, forever and he brings us to him for eternity. He's going to destroy the enemy. So do you see why we're to stand firm in our calling from Jesus? Why we're to stand firm in his word, why we're to stand firm in our hope, it's because God has already decided the outcome. Yeah. He's already taken care of the end. So may we yearn to be a church with these non-negotiable items evident in our lives. May we stand firm in our calling as followers of the Lord Jesus. It was his desire to save us. May we stand firm in the word that comes from the very mouth of God. And may we stand firm in this hope that Jesus is setting all things right. I want to close with a passage from Titus chapter 2, and it sums this up so well. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Listen, listen, what we need to know 
is that Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus is our hope. And when we stand firm in Him, we will find that peace and that love and that joy and that faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We'll find all that fruit in our life when we stand firm in Him. And the reality is that He has not returned yet, so we've not missed out. The reality is this, no matter where you've been standing, what you've been standing on up until this point is irrelevant. What is important, what matters is what you choose to stand on from this point moving forward. Because you still have time. You can choose today to stand firm in the life that Jesus offers. And all you have to do is simply believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of the living God. To place your faith in Him and to follow Him starting today. He says, when you follow Him then you find this hope. So I want to invite you to do that as we pray and as we sing. If you'd like to follow Jesus today, you can do that by simply coming to the altar and praying. We'd love to pray with you. And by saying, God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of the living God. I'm placing my faith in Him. I believe in Him and I want to follow Him. Maybe you simply need to rededicate your life to standing firm on His Word. Maybe you've been kind of on shifting sands and you've allowed yourself to get shifted away from standing firm in His Word. I'd invite you to come to the altar today and say, God, today, moving forward, I am standing firm in your word. Maybe you simply desire to thank God for the hope that he offers through Jesus. If so, you can come forward as we sing, but the bottom line is this. Jesus is our hope. And as we stand firm in him, we become unshakable because he is unshakable. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the truth of your word. And Lord, some of us in this room today need to confess that we have believed Jesus, but we haven't believed in Him. We haven't surrendered our life to the point that we would follow Him in all that He calls us to do, that we would allow Your Word to lead our life. We haven't stood firm in Your Word. God, we repent of that. So, Father, as we open up the altar, I pray that those who need to confess today that they want to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus, that they would feel the boldness to come forward and that we celebrate with them, we'll pray with them, and we'll help take steps in their journey with them. God, others in this room just need to repent that we haven't been standing firm in your word. That we believe in Jesus. We're trying to follow Jesus the best we know how, but we haven't stood firm in your word and, 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 and desired your word and allowed your word to guide us, Lord. Some of us need to repent of that and come and say, from today forward, I'm going to stand firm in the word of God. Others of us haven't stood firm in our calling. We haven't realized that you called us. You love us so much that you have offered us salvation. Therefore, we are secure in that. If we doubted that, some of us need to come and just pray and say, God, thank you that I'm secure and nothing, absolutely nothing when I'm following you can pluck me from your hand. Others of us just need to come and say, God, you're so good. We worship you because you're holy, because you're righteous and true, because you're worthy, God. May we surrender this morning. May we get rid of our pride and may we surrender before you. you. As each of us fans into flame the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us by faith in your son, Jesus. May each of us as individual embers burning, may we join together in our hearts of worship to you and may that just join into a bonfire that, that just is, gains energy and just blesses us as our hearts and our voices lifted to you, bless you. 
Father, may your spirit do a work in us today. That we would see just how awesome and mighty Jesus is. And that our hope truly is found in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Forward Charge Weekly Podcast. We hope you'll join us next week as Lead Pastor Neil Krause continues in the series, Church Hunters. For more information about Forward, Giving, or to request prayer, visit www.forwardchurchfamily.com.